All right, this is lesson three, and we're calling this lesson the sin-sickness connection. And what we want to observe from this, this is just further proof from the word that sickness is not from God. Sickness is not, does not come to teach us anything. That is such a ridiculous, ludicrous concept that somehow became a doctrine that God will put sickness on you so you can learn something. Will you learn something when you're sick? Yes. Mostly medical stuff, though. But, you know, medical doctors go to medical school, and they learn medical stuff, and they don't have to be sick to learn it. Uh, It's so foolish to think a circumstance is supposed to teach you something, because it's possible for two people to go through the same circumstance, one learn something and one not. The one who learned something opened his eyes, opened his ears, and applied himself, and the circumstance had nothing to do with it. The other person who learned nothing, well, they just went through it. And so we want a further proof from the word that sin and sickness go together, and sickness is not from God. So let's hop into this. Throughout the Bible, sickness and sin are very closely related with many scriptures dealing with both of them in one verse. That's what we're going to look at over and over again. Sin and sickness related in one verse. You don't find a single verse in the entire Bible that says, and sickness came upon them that they might learn. You don't see any verses with sin and learning in the same verse. You see a lot of verses with sin and demons in the same verse. That's the next lesson. And a lot of verses with sin and sickness in the same verse, uh, or sickness and demons and sickness and sin. But you don't see any with education and sickness in the same verse, or higher learning, or experiential promotion. You don't see any of that. What we do see is sickness and sin. We need to closely evaluate evaluate this uncanny relationship between sin and sickness. This is not to say every sickness is a result of sin, but that sin does act as a catalyst for sickness. We're going to prove that very thoroughly. I believe most of you have an understanding of that. But what you need to, maybe the devil comes and beats you up and say, well, you've done this to yourself. Even in teaching on the sin-sickness connection, hopefully you'll be able to recognize, well, maybe I didn't do anything to open this up. Maybe this is just, this is just sickness. This is just an accident. You can get in the other end of the ditch, and we don't want to do that, where you think every little sniffle is because you got sin in your life. That's ridiculous, too. You broke your leg, so God must be mad at you. That's ridiculous. To the day we die, we're going to have sin in our life. To the day we die, we're going to be saying, oh, wretched man, oh, wretched woman that we are. And so the other end I want to avoid is every time somebody has a headache, you must have sin in your life. That's not accurate either. Or my baby's sick. God must be punishing me. That's ridiculous as well. But we do want to see in this side that there is a connection between sin and sickness. But don't walk out of here thinking because you're battling something or because you've been believing God for healing for 20 years and it hasn't manifested yet that God is upset with you and punishing you. All right, you see the two ends of the spectrum? Okay. Sin brought decay. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no sickness, no disease, no death. Their rebellion against God ruined a perfect environment and brought mortality upon them. And not just them, all of creation. Until then, uh, no, they wouldn't have eaten meat because something has to die to eat meat. Uh, you know, you could even speculate and go into this deep, dark hole of biological, logical, you know, did they digest food? They ate. Did they digest food? Did it come out the draught? Did that draw flies? Did the flies lay maggots? Because that's all process of decay. I have no idea. We do know that the Lord Jesus in a glorified body after the resurrection ate fish. Where did it go? 
if we have the same bodies in heaven and in heaven there's healing, there's fruit of the trees for the healing of the nations and we eat the fruit in heaven, are there heavenly bathrooms? I have no idea and I don't even care. Just throwing it out there. Just, just to think it. Sometimes your mind starts to run down those logical tracks. I don't know and I really don't care. Their rebellion against God ruined a perfect environment and brought mortality upon them. Their sin also caused a curse to fall upon the earth. Death was introduced. God killed at least one, if not two animals, to clothe Adam and Eve with skins to cover their nakedness. Up until then, there had been no death. But he had to slay an animal to cover them with coats of animal skins. We know blood was shed, but more importantly, their nakedness was covered. Up and until that point, of course, they had fig leaves, you know, an apron of fig leaves, which they were covering their nakedness. But before that, they were covered in the glory of God. The glory of God consumed their nakedness, and they didn't see themselves as being naked. When the glory left them because of their sin, all of a sudden they said, we've got to cover ourselves with something. They chose fig leaves. The Lord says, no, something must die. And so he killed something. So the first instance of sickness, now we're going to jump into this sickness thing. What is the first instance of sickness in the Bible? The first case of sickness in divine healing involves the sexual proclivities of King Abimelech. What are we talking about? He had a harem, a a bevy of beauties of which, which he slept with. And he saw Sarah, Abraham's wife, and said, I like her and I want her. Uh, and so he took her into his harem. But verse 20, Genesis 22 and 3 says, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, which was a partial truth. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. And now Abraham lied because he was scared, because all he is is a nomad talking to a king, and he knows the king can have anything he wants, which means if it's his wife, maybe he fears for his life. Maybe the king will kill Abraham to have his wife. But if he says, She's my sister... Maybe he both, he lives and she lives. So, uh, so he took Sarah, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. So our very first instance of sickness in the Bible is due to sin. Now, was there sickness before that? Probably. But the first one our Bible record records is judgment over sexual sin. This sin of potential adultery brought a death sentence from sickness to Abimelech and his entire household. And again, it lets you know that if you get sinful, you can bring all sorts of weird stuff into your home. That's why it's so critical for daddies and fathers and husbands to live clean and to guide their home and to keep their home and protect it. You as a husband, according to 1 Timothy 3, you have to be a sentry and a post and a guard. You have to take care of your family and look after it. You are the one that lets things in. You're the one that runs things out. And if something goes weird in your household, you've got to judge yourself and see, what what have I done here? Abimelech's sin didn't just punish him. It punished his wife and all of his maidservants. His whole household was judged by God. And when you as a husband get goofy, when you as a father get goofy, goofy stuff's going to not just come to you, but everybody that's under you. You get goofy and you own a company. Everything under you is going to be affected. Amen? All right. Abimelech had to repent and restore what he had taken and then face the man he had wronged, Abraham, and have him pray for him in order to receive healing. This sickness came due to sin. So we see our first instance. Not God teaching anybody anything, but don't sin. And when you know not to sin, you don't sin. You don't have to be taught don't sin, just don't sin. 
Sickness didn't come to teach you don't sin. You knew not to sin in the first place. Sickness came because you did sin. Sometimes the sickness hits you hard enough, you realize, I'm never going there again. Funny thing about alcoholics or drunks, puking every morning doesn't seem to teach them that alcoholism is detrimental to their health. Neither does having a face that's flush all the time. But they just keep drinking. As Proverbs says, he says, "Yet, yet doubtless I shall rise again. I shall drink some more. The Bible says of a drunkard, he'll put a nail into his hand. He'll run a thorn into his hand and not even know it. It, like it's like he's at a bar table or something or he's just he's so drunk he'll run his hand along something and a nail will pierce his hand or a thorn and proverbs says he doesn't even recognize it he doesn't realize it's piercing his life through and so uh, you know sometimes people have to hit bottom really hard it's almost like sometimes people hit the bottom and they don't get it so the lord lets them get up and slams them down again to try to knock some sense into them the promise of jehovah rapha one of God's redemptive names is Jehovah Rapha, or I am the, the healer. However, when God revealed his healing nature to Moses in Israel, it was a conditional promise. Conditional based upon what? Obedience. Here in Exodus 15, 26, very famous verse. And the Lord said, if, so there's the condition, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and do, so we have diligently hearkened, do, do. One of the problems we face as preachers is we preach and the people diligently hearken, but the people don't always do. And that's dangerous because sometimes we're lulled into this false sense of security. Because I'm hearing right, I must be doing right. You can hear right and do wrong. The jails are full of people like that. Just because you're hearing right doesn't mean you're doing any of it. So you have to make sure you don't just hear and hear and hear and learn and learn and learn. You have to make sure you're doing what you know. Your life is a, is a product of what you do. Your life is not the product of what you know. It's not the product of what you hear. Your life is a product of what you do. And we'll do that which is right in his sight and we'll give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Notice this verse so far has two pairs. The first pair is diligently hearken and do. The second pair is give ear and keep. Some things of God you do, some things of God you keep. I mean, you keep those statutes, you keep those commandments. Uh, Just because you diligently hearken and just because you give ear doesn't mean you're going to do or keep. Your life is defined by what you're doing and what you're keeping. It's very simple. If you want to know where your life is at and why, look at what you do, look at what you keep. It has nothing to do with what you know. All right, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. This is a massive conditional promise. It's almost as though the Lord, though he is Jehovah Rapha, he only gets to be Jehovah Rapha when we keep our end of the covenant. One of the things we could probably afford to teach on around here is the concept of covenant, because we as white Americans or black Americans, we have no idea what covenant really is. But covenant is always a two-part deal. And you have to do your part to get the other part. This is a covenant promise, which means even though he is Jehovah Rapha, it doesn't mean you get the benefits of it unless, of course, you do your part. He is the Lord that provides. He is the Lord that protects. But you have to do your part. Again, please hear me. Your life is defined by what you do, not where you go to church, not what you know. It's defined by what you do. Keep in mind the Lord Jesus Christ was the word incarnate made flesh with the spirit without measure and yet everybody around him didn't get everything. 
when it was all said and done after three and a half years of the word made flesh walking and healing the dead and raising the sick they were, he was left with one man disciple at the cross and a bunch of women a bunch of folks didn't do what they knew they did what they did and they walked away with a head full of knowledge you have one teenage boy John the Revelator young boy young man and women that's all he's got as far as the discipleship that's all the word was able to produce after three and a half years that's all. Yet he had healed probably hundreds of thousands of people and traveled a huge distance by foot for three and a half years. And yet the best the word could produce was a teenage boy, probably 18 or 19, and a bunch of women. That's it. They had heard and heard and heard and knew and knew and knew, but they didn't do, 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 do. So this promise of healing is contingent on not living and acting like the Egyptians. I, I might add, you live like an Egyptian, you get the rewards of the Egyptians, which is all those plagues. <laughs> it's not the Lord bringing it upon you, it's you stepping into the zone that's already cursed. You know, there, there's a perimeter around your life where God protects, God saves. And the second you go outside of that, you get what's outside of that. The Lord doesn't make you wet when it rains, you going outside makes you wet when it rains. Amen. This verse implies that the diseases brought upon Egypt were due to their disobedience to God's commands. These aforementioned diseases came due to sin. Let us not be willfully disobedient against our God. All right? So that this great promise, this great revelation of one of the redemptive names of God is a conditional promise. I am the Lord God that healeth thee if, if you diligently hearken and do, if you give ear and keep. And if not, that's what we call sin. If we don't do the word of God, it's called sin. The plague for the golden calf. Israel's first massive rebellion came while Moses was in prayer on Mount Horeb. Isn't that typical? The preacher goes off to pray and the people go rebellious. Now, thankfully, it wasn't the whole nation. But it was, I believe, about 14,000 people that the priests were then commanded to slay. That's a big chunk of people. That's a, that's a mega, mega, mega church. I may be wrong on the numbers, but it was thousands. And when Moses comes back off the mountain, he commands those priests to take their swords and kill everybody guilty of that church service. You just, you just canceled church. <laughs> the Israelites left God to worship an idol of convenience. That is the word of the day, convenience. Christians want convenience. Christians want a church that's five minutes drive time. Christians want a church that serves them beverages while they should be worshiping God. Christians want a church that takes care of all their needs. Well, the Bible says you're supposed to take care of other people's needs. Well, when has this thing become about you? Well, since we've become a welfare nation and we've allowed our, our mega preachers to teach us it's all about us. But it's not all about us. It's all about Jesus Christ. For by him and for him are all things. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Notice Aaron did it, but he also blamed the people because they wanted it. And it was the Lord that plagued them for their sin. The Bible's not clear as to what this plague was, but it came even as the priests had killed 3,000 other guilty Israelites. All right, so there's your number. 3,000 is what the priests killed. And then a great chunk of other people also died. This plague came due to sin. We don't know what the plague is, but we know plagues are sickness and disease. It's judgment. Whether it was scorpions singing them, snakes biting them, or leprosy, or boils, or emeralds, or some kind of sickness coming upon them. The Lord did this. This was the Lord's doing because of their sin. 
And this was right after he said, I'll heal you if you'll do. But they didn't do, so he didn't heal them. This judgment caught up with them. The plague for lust. The Bible records that a very great plague was brought upon Israel for lusting and complaining for food. Did you know lust will always consume you? Lust will always destroy you. In this day and age, you get into enough sexual lust, you can get an STD. Amen. Or you can get a shotgun to the face because you sleep with the wrong person. They just lusted for food. It lets you know that lust knows no boundaries. They were judged over a food appetite. Did you know that heart disease affects people with food appetites? Cholesterol, strokes, heart attack, diabetes. Somebody joked that America's greatest invention was diabetes. These folks had a food lust and they were judged for it. That would really preach well in America. Now, their lust was because they were tired of God. Our lust is because we're bored. So I got to have another ice cream sundae. Now, I'm not against ice cream sundaes, but, you know, if you're killing yourself, you don't need another ice cream sundae. You need to walk. Numbers eleven thirty three and 34. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed. So the, the flesh was in their mouth, the, 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 the bird. They hadn't even chewed it up yet. The wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. Even up until the moment he delivered the birds, he was still giving them opportunity to repent. He supernaturally brought the quail in. They didn't have to eat it. I don't think they ate this bird raw. I think they probably had to pluck it, skin it, gut it, cook it. Judgment does not fall until they take a bite because he's giving them opportunity after opportunity. You know you don't need to be eating this as they're cutting it open, as they're gutting it, as they're getting the fires going, as they're putting their salt on it. Not until they took a bite and began to chew did he judge them. Let you know how merciful the Lord is in any of our sin that you can at any point stop if you want to. Before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place uh, Kebroth Hatava, the graves of lust. Apparently lust kills people. Because there they buried the people that lusted. Uh, talk about food poisoning. This thing killed people. And apparently it was a big enough graveyard, it got a name. It wasn't one person, it was a lot of people. Though there is nothing wrong with needing and desiring food, the attitude one takes up in their heart can be life or death. A very great plague came due to sin. Uh, and this wasn't even an outward sin. This was a sin of the heart. This was not an outward sin. There's nothing wrong with not starving to death. But this was an attitude that God judged. May we learn to bury our lust so that it does not bury us. Look at leprosy for slander. We're just looking at all these stories in the Bible where sickness came as a result of sin and sickness came as a judgment. That's one of the things we covered in our first lesson is that sickness often comes due to, based on judgment, but it never comes for an education. The best you can ever learn is I should not have worshiped that golden calf, but I think they knew that going into it because not, the, not everybody was caught up in that sin. So apparently people did know, they just didn't obey. So look, leprosy for slander. Also, let me point this out. Each one of these sins is different. The first one was sexual sin. 
The second one was idolatry. The third one is lust of the heart. This one is slander. These are all different major sins. And these, these judgments still reflect God's heart concerning these sins. He has not changed how he feels about these sins. We just happen to have a lot more mercy now because we're his children in the grace dispensation. But he still doesn't like lust. He still doesn't like slander. He still doesn't like idolatry. Let leprosy for slander. Moses had problems among his leadership team. His older sister Miriam was a prophetess and lay leader among Israel. She spoke against Moses and was stricken with leprosy. God still feels the same way about slander. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. So apparently God left church. Notice that when there's a slander and, and disunity in the church, the tabernacle, God leaves the church. Uh, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Mary became leprous. Notice when God's presence departs, something else comes in. God's presence left the lay leadership team. God's presence left the local house, and something came in and took its place. The glory rolled back, and what was left was sin. It really makes me wonder how much of God's presence on our life really works as a buffer for us against worse things that could happen. Yeah, you got the sniffles. What could it have been? Yeah, you broke a bone in that car accident. What could it have been? We don't know these things till we get to heaven. We just have to be very, very merciful. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got paralyzed one time with meningitis. What could it have been? But the glory rolled back and leprosy was what was left. How long had the glory of God been keeping that off of Miriam? If we backslide, and we've seen it all the time, folks leave church, folks, not, not that leaving church is wrong to go to another church, but they leave church wrong, they fall out of church, they fall into sin, and things just start unraveling for them. It's because they get out from underneath the presence of God. They begin to willfully sin, and it's not God, it's just them reaping the rewards of sin. Sin has a paycheck. You know, sickness is death working in you. Amen. And Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and apparently head to toe. It doesn't say it was her hand. The Bible is very clear. They had leprosy on their forehead. They had leprosy on their hand. She became white as snow. What does that look like on a person? That's pretty horrifying. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, not, hey, kid brother. He all of a sudden earned some respect real quick. And nothing like sickness and judgment to all of a sudden remind you how to honor who you need to honor. He doesn't say, hey, bro, hey, kid, hey, Mosey, whatever nickname they had for him growing up. My Lord, as in master, as in sir, as in boss man, preacher man. Uh, alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, I lay not the sin upon us wherein we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. Miriam contracted leprosy for running leadership down. Her leprosy came due to sin. Of course, uh, the Lord, uh, Moses beseeches the Lord and the Lord heals Miriam. They have to put her outside the camp. She gets to be excommunicated for a few days, which is what we ought to do with slanderers who won't repent. We ought to kick them out, uh, send them outside and say, folks, we want you to know so-and-so. We put them outside church for a month because they slandered three people and I was tired of it. That would set a precedent in a church. Everybody would think twice before they ran their mouth. Of course, we'd be called a cult. <laughs> but it would be biblical. 
It's amazing. Everybody wants everybody to do what they want, but nobody wants to do what anybody else wants. The plague for murmuring. Moses had complainers among his congregation. What a, I feel bad for this guy. Useless leadership team, useless congregation. Now, I wonder he was asking the Lord, kill me. If, if you really love me, Lord, kill me. Some of the people did not like God's style of discipline, so they complained against Moses. Here's how foolish this is. This is right after the gainsaying of Korah, where Korah and Datham and Abiram, uh, the two Reubenites, Korah was of the tribe of Levi. They complain against Moses for different reasons, but, you know, slanderers have, make strange bedfellows. And Moses says, please don't do this. It's almost like Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk. You won't like me when I'm angry. He said, please don't do this. You're not going to like what the Lord has to do when you anger him. And they wouldn't stop. And they drummed up 250 princes, the chief people, and their families. And <laughs> Moses says, if God is not for me, uh, then nothing will happen. But if God is for me, you're going to die an unnatural death. And he moved everybody away. And they came up that morning. And everybody had backed their tent away from these slanderers and murmurers. And the ground shook. And the earth opened up and swallowed them and their wives and their children down to hell alive. And they heard them screaming, going to hell alive. That's what's leading up to this story. Now notice again, the children suffer for the parents. The children. It's spiritual law. Well, isn't God merciful? God's merciful. Why aren't you? Why don't you love your kids more than to be that foolish? So the people freak out because they see, obviously Moses couldn't do this. Moses did not have the power to open up the sea pit of Harkoon, which is a Star Wars reference, and make these people go down to hell alive. And this is when they start complaining. It's not fair. It's not right. Moses is evil. Seriously? You just saw what happened when people ran down Moses and you're going to run your mouth down? This is where we're at. <laughs> They didn't like God's style of discipline. God wants to send people to hell, he will. So they complained against Moses. Why didn't they complain against Jehovah? A plague was unleashed. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer, put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. So just as soon as one a whole bunch of people go to hell alive, folks start complaining. It's like when God's angry, back off. You know how it is at your house. One kid's screaming, you get upset. The other kids start screaming. You think, all right, let's just line everybody up. Everybody's getting spankings today. Honey, you need a spanking too? Because it, it ain't nothing to me. The neighbor want to pick a fight today? I'll go cut his grass on the lowest setting and just ruin his thought. <laughs> the Lord is hot here. The Bible says, pacify his anger, don't provoke it. They continued provoking it. And so the Lord doesn't send them to hell alive. He just plagues them. Israel's complaining opened them up to a plague. The plague came due to sin. Let us learn to not complain. The thing that really irked me was a couple weeks ago, I heard about some of our workers next door complaining because with our new kids wing, they had to walk all the way over here to get a vacuum. I have two words for that. I have several words for that. I have a myriad of words for that. Immaturity, laziness, and grow up. We just built a kid's wing for six months, and you're complaining because you're overweight and too lazy to go walk and get a, a vacuum? Well, sheesh. Amen. 
it's just so inconvenient. We got, God, I mean, we got to walk all, yeah, a whopping hundred steps. Oh my gosh. I mean, first world problems. What are we going to do? It's air conditioned, climate controlled for all 100 of those steps. But that's only one way, Pastor. You're right. It's 200 steps round trip. Actually, 400, because then you got to go put it back up. I'd rather be in Iraq where they're cutting babies' heads off because they're Christians. Isn't that pathetic? Isn't that absolutely pathetic? That we're that blessed in this country and we complain because we got to walk and get a stupid vacuum. Let us learn not to complain. <laughs> Leprosy for pride. The Bible says of King Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his own destruction. He thought he could play priest. He went into the temple in order to burn incense. Azariah the priest withstood him and greatly angered Uzziah while he was angry with Azariah and other priests. Leprosy broke out on his forehead and he eventually died a leper. His leprosy was a result of his pride and stubbornness. Leprosy came due to sin. Let's not be prideful. You know, he, what his problem was, he wanted to be something he wasn't. He's not a priest. He's the king. Be happy who you're called to be. And don't try to be somebody you're not. And he got mad when the guy who was doing his job did his job. And unfortunately, because of pride and stubbornness, he, uh, he died a leper in a separate house. Leprosy for deception. And notice again, every one of these sins is totally different. Sometimes the sickness is the same, but we have pride, we have deception, we have complaining, we have slander, we have idolatry, we have sexual immorality. Uh, Gehazi became leprous because of greed and lying to the prophet Elisha. Uh, this is kind of what the Lord still thinks about deception and greed. But sometime later, Gehazi was found in the king's court as an advisor. He had to have received healing to be in the presence of the king. His leprosy was a result of deception against his leader. Leprosy came due to sin. Let us, one of the things that's always good to pray, no matter how truthful you might be, sin always wants to creep up and get you to tell half-truths, get you to exaggerate, get you to withhold truths. It's always, it's a good prayer of maintenance, if we can call it that, where you just say, Lord, I thank you that my mouth is full of truth. I speak the truth. Even if it embarrasses me, even if it hurts me, I don't want to be untruthful. I don't want to be untrustworthy. Lord, let me always just speak the raw truth. In love, in every situation, help me to, to not be deceptive, not even in the slightest bit. Sometimes we don't all out lie. We just withhold facts that would embarrass us. We, that, that puts us too close to Gehazi, I think, for comfort. Let's not go there. With our spouse, let's be as truthful as we know how. If we overlook something, it wasn't on purpose. It was just, I just, I just didn't realize it. I, I forgot. Uh, you know, whether that's with how you spend money as a couple, whether that's what you did when your couple was out of town or one member of the family was, but let us be as truthful as possible. This man was struck with leprosy for deception. He withheld truths and then he got even worse than that. So that lets us know what, how the Lord views deception. A fatal boil for pride. Here's our first sin that's repeated, pride. King Hezekiah was sick and near unto death because of pride. A fatal boil arose, threatening to take his life. How big does a boil have to be to be life-threatening? Really? And we all know what a boil is. It's pretty disgusting. But apparently it was a singular boil because the, priest, or the, the prophet made a, a salve of figs, a little application of figs uh, to put on the boil. It wasn't like he was wrapped up in boils, and so it had to be wrapped up with figs com compresses. It was one boil, but apparently this thing was, I don't know, in his abdomen, 
obsessing into his guts. We don't know, but this thing was life-threatening. This was how he, how he was going to die. But he repented. But it came because of pride. I don't know which is worse, leprosy because of pride or a boil because of pride. Look at the Lord, what Hezekiah said in Isaiah. But thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Hezekiah repented. And maybe, maybe the boil instantly broke out when he was judged and Isaiah said, you're a dead man. And we know that Hezekiah required a sign because maybe the boil was still there when Isaiah came back and said, the Lord has spared thee and given thee 15 years. Maybe the boil was still there because Hezekiah required a sign and the Lord said, here's the sign. I'll make the sundial go back one hour. And then after that, Isaiah made the compress of figs and he recovered himself. So he had to take it all by faith because it apparently wasn't an instant healing and he's still looking at this giant boil somewhere. But either way, he got healed. But I do want you to see this sickness, this massive boil came because he was a prideful king. Now, that doesn't mean because you've got a boil somewhere, you've got an ingrown hair somewhere that God is judging you and you're going to die. You must set your house in order. But we just see the point. Sickness often comes as judgment for sin. According to Hezekiah's prayer, it took God casting his sin away for healing to come. We know it was a sin because at the news of his death sentence, he instantly repents. It means he knew what to repent of. So whatever he was doing, he knew he was wrong. It wasn't like he had to figure out, what am I doing wrong, Lord? He instantly knows where he's wrong. How many of us, even this morning, we know right now where we're wrong, where we're in open rebellion? Now, let me ask you this. Let me provoke all of us. If every one of us, I'll say every one of us, if we know right now where we're in open, blatant rebellion to God, why have we not repented like Hezekiah yet? Why would it take a death sentence? Why would it take a prophet saying, you're as good as a dead man? Because again, when that judgment came to Hezekiah, he turns his face to the wall and he knows exactly what to repent of because he knew what to repent of the day before. He thought he was getting away with it. You and I have to realize we're not getting away with anything. The Lord is just cutting us some massive slack to see will we be mature and repent because we love him, not because we're afraid of dying. Shouldn't do anything out of fear. But sometimes people are immature enough, you have to provoke them with fear to get a response out of them. The best way to respond is because we love. Lord, I love you, that's why I'm changing. Not Lord, I'm gonna change because I'm afraid of dying or I'm afraid of losing my marriage, or I'm afraid of losing my kids. No, we should desire to change because we love God and we want to please him. All right. God healed him and gave him 15 more years. The boil came due to sin. New Testament examples. Jesus demonstrated that sickness and sin were often directly related, Matthew 9, 2. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins be forgiven thee. He does not address the sickness first. He addresses sin. Evidently, sin was keeping this man sick. Jesus healed this man with palsy, but he first but he had to first forgive his sins. Jesus addressed the layman. He healed at Bethesda, John 5, 14. Afterward, Jesus finds him in the temple and says to him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Apparently, he was sick and in need of healing because he had sinned. And Jesus says, Look, you're forgiven and you're healed, but if you go back into this, something worse is going to happen to you. That's a Bible promise. Jesus does promise worse. I preach that. Jesus does promise worse. 
But like every promise of Jesus, it's conditional. I don't want the worst of the promises. I want the best of the promises. Apparently, this former cripple's condition was due to some sin. He was commanded to sin no more. In one instance, Jesus addressed the sin sickness condition for connection for one blind man. Uh, John 9, 1 through 3. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Who? You see that? Who did sin? This, man, this kid's blind. This man's blind, was born blind. Who did sin? Notice it was a broad understanding. It was a general observation back then. If you were sick, what'd you do? And as his disciples asked him, saying, Master, well, what did this man, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So Jesus answers and says, It's not always due to sin, but I want you to see the disciples had an understanding that many times it is. And again, let me tell you the reason I wrote this lesson this way is because so many folks are convinced God will put sickness on you to teach you something. And I want to, with these lessons, broaden their horizon and say, no, 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 no. Don't go being all pompous thinking you're learning something. You need to humble yourself and realize you might be sinning against God. That's why you're sick. And at least give them pause to judge their heart and say, Lord, what have I done? Have I done anything? Anytime sickness hits us that we have trouble shaking, we ought to be willing to go and visit the sin issue in our life and judge ourselves. Even as, I think we'll get to 1 Corinthians, even as Corinthians says, because you don't discern the Lord's body, for this reason, many of you are sick. Why? Sin. Why, why do you say many New Testament Christians were sick? Because they didn't discern the Lord's body. Sin. Many of you are weak. Do you have strength issues in your body? Paul said, you need to judge yourself. It might be because you don't discern one another in the body of Christ. And many of you are dead prematurely. Why do we do funerals sometimes? Because folks were in sin. We understand his blindness to be a birth defect requiring the power of God. Communion's testimony. Paul taught on the sin sickness connection through communion. We just covered that. I'm going to skip that one. Uh, James teaching. The apostle James also wrote about the connection between sin and sickness. James 5, 14 and 15 says this. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Notice sickness here is tied directly to sin. We'll pray for you. We'll, we, the elders, will pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil. And in doing so, if there be any sins, if, that doesn't mean there always is, but if, they'll be forgiven him. Now, I, wanna, I think I've taught this before, but I want to point out something that might be controversial because we've probably never heard this, except for me teaching it once or twice. In this passage here, this is the famous prayer of faith passage. Prayer of faith. This word prayer here, is not any of your usual words for prayer. In fact, it doesn't even mean prayer. You can look it up in the Greek. The word prayer here is actually the Greek word vow, the vow of faith. So if we're to be strict to the Greek text, this really has nothing to do. Now, I still believe in the prayer of faith because we can prove it from other passages. I just don't believe we can all the time teach it from this passage. The vow of faith has nothing to do with me as an elder or Gary as an elder laying hands on you. The vow of faith has something to do with you vowing in your heart, Lord, forgive me, I'm going to serve you better. The vow of faith shall save the sick. 
we might say the repentance is exactly what you see Hezekiah do. He vowed in his heart, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I'll do better. Lord, if you'll give me more time, I'll make this right. The vow of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. And if there be any sins, they shall be forgiven. I know that sounds new. You've never heard it taught, but actually look at the word. It's not any of your words for prayer. This is the only time that word is used or translated as prayer. Everywhere else, it's vow, it's oath, the oath of faith. This is you saying, I'm gonna do better. Lord, you raise me up, I'm gonna serve you better. Lord, you forgive me, I'll, I'll do better. Lord, you get this thing off of me, I'll do better. This is the cry of a desperate person. Now, we're still gonna teach it the prayer of faith because it's too entrenched for me to try to tackle it in one or two services. But you have to know what this says in the Greek. And I think that makes sense as well, the vow of faith. Lord, I know I did this. I brought this on myself. But Father, if you'll forgive me, uh, elders, you lay hands on me. And so you have a repentance service there. The Lord shall raise them up. And if they commit any sins, they shall be forgiven. I think it makes sense. Plus, that's what the Lord requires out of us anyway, is a heart that says, I'm going to serve you with everything I've got. The apostle James demonstrates a correlation here between sickness and sin. Here the Lord will heal the sickness, raise up the sick, and forgive any sins committed. Also, James taught in chapter 5, verse 16, confess your faults, sins, and trespasses one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Again, we got to pray for each other. We have to confess our faults. If Jeff King and I are at odds or if I'm at odds against him, I may need to go to him and say, Jeff, I need you to forgive me. I've been very belligerent towards you and rude and moody. Please forgive me. You've done nothing to earn it. I'm just a brat. And he said, well, I forgive you, Pastor. I forgive you, Chris. Now, let's pray for each other. And it may be I'm sick because I'm dishonoring this member of the body of Christ. James is teaching the same thing Paul taught in 1 Corinthians 11. Communion is all about fellowship with the body. It's not just a wafer and a little thing of juice. We're the body. It's my fellowship with Steve. It's my fellowship with Jennifer. It's my fellowship with my wife. For those reasons, you can be sick. And you've got to be willing to confess that one to another. It's not talking about, you know, your private sins that don't hurt anybody but your own life, but what you're trespassing against each other. You don't trespass anybody when you're just you and God. That's you trespassing God. But if I'm rude to Wendell, I've trespassed him. If I'm rude to Marlon, I've trespassed him. If I'm a jerk towards Mike, uh, Matt, I've I'm, 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 I'm trespassed him. So I have to go and make it right with them. And we'll pray one for another and we'll be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This verse requires a confession of sins, sins committed against each other in order to obtain healing. Here, James gives the instructions to first confess your sins to the one you sin against, then pray for each other in order to receive healing. So many folks want healing, but they don't want to get their life right. And that's why so many Christians use God as a sugar daddy, a cosmic sugar daddy. Give me what I want. And this is what you saw in the gospels. He healed multitudes, how many disciples did he have? Not many. Multitudes are still being healed today, but how many disciples does he have? Not many. We can't just use God. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He'll heal you to show you his goodness, but it doesn't mean you're ever going to serve him. The balance, let me read this real quick and we'll close. All of this is not to say that every sickness you may experience is due to some gross sin in your life. Some sickness is just an attack from the enemy. Some sickness is just a natural state of cursed biology, a cold, allergies, an accident, a virus. However, we must realize that sickness can be the result of sin in our life, causing the protection and the hedges in our life to be broken down. 
Brother Hagen once noted, I have seen the sick have hands laid on them numerous times by the greatest healing evangelists in the land to no avail. But I have seen those same people make one phone call and ask for forgiveness and receive instant healing. In dealing with sickness, we must first honestly judge ourselves and see where we may have opened the door to the enemy through sin. If our hands are clean, then we move on to, the, to address the sickness by other means. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school. Bless our understanding. May we obtain healing and even judge ourselves to a greater degree through the faith of these lessons. In Jesus' name, amen.